I don't know about you, but I'm using music makes me want to put on my Don Johnson outfit back to Miami Vice in the 80s in the Mets. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Colin. I'll be hosting this evening's episode of the Metsian Podcast, and I'm not alone. Although Sam and Rich aren't here, I have a special guest, Gary McDonald from MetsMusings.com. Hello, Gary. Hello, Michael. How are you, my friend? Long time no talk. It has been too long, in fact. Uh, wonderful having you on each and every time. Uh, you're such an entertaining person to uh, speak Mets with. Uh, so I'll give out my shameless plug. Uh, aside from the Metsian podcast, you can get my shtick at brooklyntrolleyblogger.blogspot.com. I just like to talk about all the local sports, uh, but in particularly the Mets. So, uh, Gary, that said, why don't you give us a little bio of yourself? Okay, well, I host uh, Mets Musings at MetsMusings.com, in case nobody uh, knows that, and I hope you all check it out. It's a weekly podcast, and we kind of talk about the same things. Um, I, I take I do a solo show, so I kind of take a different spin than uh, the Metsian guys do, but uh, always nice to be on with them and have them on as guests, and I do have guests on, uh, authors sometimes, and I've had Peter Alonzo on and Wayne Randazzo. So I uh, try to get some guests on that, that are going to be interesting and pertinent to the Mets, uh, Mets fans. And, uh, Michael, it's been a rough year so far. How's it, though? I mean, on the field and the weather. The weather's been stifling <laughs> and, and the rain's been coming down in buckets. What gives? I I don't know. I'm not a weatherman. I guess you got to ask Mike Trout about that. But um, <laughs> it's it's definitely you know, been crazy. You brought up an interesting name, one that uh, I don't think either one of us had any plans on mentioning. But let, let, let's talk about him real quick now that he he's topical. Peter Alonso, he's tearing up the Pacific Coast League. Uh, Met fans are just clamoring to see him in Flushing. I think it might be a little too early. There's nothing going on. And and if you listen to this three-headed monster that we call a GM, uh, they're looking to backlog all kinds of people at first base. So your impressions of Peter Alonzo? I, uh, I found Peter to be a very nice young man, very studious, a hard worker. He, he wants to improve. Uh, when I talked to him, I think it was last November or so, he was uh, just back or, or going to uh, Arizona Instructional League, and he was going to work on his defense primarily. And uh, he has worked on his defense a lot. He has improved. I've watched some of the games on uh, MILB TV, and he's he's come a long way. Is he a gold glover? No. Um, but he's not uh, Dick Stewart, the uh, Captain Strange glove, uh, you know, um, and and he's the type of kid that's willing to work. And, and as you say, he's just tearing it up there. And I don't know what else he has left to prove. And, you know, sometimes you get concerned because you don't want to lose a kid like this either because he could be your your first baseman for the next 10 years. And I get nervous because, you know, this is kind of what they did to do to in a way. You know, they, they kept Duda down, then they tried to put him in left field, and then as soon as they put him in first base, bam, 30 home runs, and he was hitting. And uh, look, I know he's he's not great, Duda, but um, 
this kid looks like he's something really special. And I saw him playing Brooklyn, liked him. Uh, as I said, I've seen him on TV a few times this year. He's really, uh, uh, really a good kid. And, and I really think that they should at least bring him up in September. I, uh, I, also, I also caught him here in Brooklyn playing for the Cyclones last year. On one of my road trips, uh, I went to Binghamton after the Hall of Fame, and I caught him there. Uh, and I, I liked what I saw. I mean, very small sample size, one game. But uh, he looked comfortable. He he made two plays in first base, uh, relatively trouble-free. So, uh, I, I mean, look, the, the Mets are on their way towards another 90-loss season. Why not have him up, right? But exactly. that being said, you know, isn't it weird how the minor leagues works out? I mean, the guy was tearing it up with a very respectable batting average throughout his minor league career. Now he gets the Pacific Coast League, and he's batting like 230 or so. I, I didn't look at the exact number. You know, but that's not your prototypical uh, Pacific Coast League number. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's a, a meteoric uh, rise that he went through, and I think he just got – uh, you know the pitches are a little bit tougher triple a and i think he just got in the uh in a bit of a slump but uh from what i under what i last read the other day i think he's hitting over the last i don't know how many games 10 12 games he's hitting like 345 and uh so he he's found his way he's made his adjustments and um he is really starting to hit and even when he wasn't hitting that well he was still hitting for some power so uh you know, and this this is what this organization talks about all the time: power, power, power. It just seems now with this three-headed monster, are we going in a totally different direction? And they're not telling anybody because all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, Callaway is hitting and running, and they're trying to steal bases. And and I don't get me wrong, I like it. But, uh, you know, pitches or sacrifice bunting, I mean, I, I have to shake my head and look at it. And, um, you know, was could Sandy have been the cause of all these problems the last couple of years? I don't know. Uh, I, I will put some things on, on his docket. Uh, but obviously the way the organization is run as a whole organizationally, I have to look at the Wilpons. So, yeah, there are some things I will put on Sandy Alderson, but most things I will put on ownership. Uh, you know what? Let's transition to that because I caught a couple of articles over the last two weeks or so, and here's one of them. The three-headed monster or Jeff Wilpon or all four, they've already announced that Mickey Calloway is coming back regardless of the next GM. Now, let me take you back a little bit. Uh, Newsday wrote a report how Fred Wilpon protect, protected uh, Terry Collins from both Sandy Alderson and Jeff Wilpon, whom both were seeking his termination. Uh, you know, that's common knowledge. A month later, Newsday comes out with a second article saying that after a lengthy lunch with Fred Wilpon, Mickey Calloway became the number one contender. And then a third article. Uh, what, as recently as perhaps two weeks ago or maybe even three weeks ago, the Mets announced that Mickey Calloway will indeed be returning next season regardless of a new GM. Uh, I have one word to sum up 
uh, those three specific Newsday articles, which is meddling, something we've heard before. Uh, but now that you mentioned Callaway, what do you think of that scenario? I mean, three articles within the last, more or less, let's call it the last calendar year. What do you think? Well, I, I think that the Callaway got the dealt a bad hand, I think. Uh, he seems really? like a nice guy. seems intelligent. I'm a, I, you know, uh, they have made progress with the pitching staff. Uh, just look at Zach Wheeler's turnaround. The bullpen's another issue. But, you know, we've talked about bullpens before. They're so finicky. They're up, they're down. You know, one year they, nobody can hit them. The next year they can't get anybody out. Same guys, same pitches. It just, just it happens that way. I don't know why, but it's just a, a weird situation. Um, I, I think where they did Callaway a disservice was, I still think the weak link on this team was Gary DiPlacina. They should have had a National League bench coach there with him from the beginning. I said this over and over and over again. So if there was a question of strategy or something like that, you have somebody that's got experience in this league. Having an American League coaching staff, I don't think did him well. And and I think it forced him maybe to make more decisions. And I think I think Sandy was making a lot of was over his shoulder making a lot of decisions. And I don't think that's happening as much now. So because uh, is out, I don't think the three headed monster's doing that. Um, I don't think Jeff and Fred are are overly over his shoulder telling him what to do. And um, I, I, you know, they seem to be playing better baseball now. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, I agree with you a million percent. Uh, kind of lost my train of thought here for a second. In the fact that uh, Callaway, you know, I went so far as saying, yeah, his American League sensibilities are shining through. You need sunglasses sometimes. Uh, but you took it a step farther and named Gary DiSorcina. Uh, you know, and, and that's the that's the part I never approached. Who would serve that role? And you're absolutely right. He really should have a a, a National League guy on that bench trying to you know help him maneuver through the National League game. Uh, so I agree with you a million percent. Uh, but before you know we get knee deep into this team, Gary, let's stick with the Cyclones for a second. I think that brings a smile to both our faces. Uh, they're in a. <laughs> we got a less, we got less than a month to go. Okay, they're in second place. They're two games out of first place behind Hudson Valley. Hudson Valley, strong team from last year who won the, who won the division, uh, right. and they displaced the Lowell Spinners, and now they are one game behind Auburn and the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Uh, we have Jason Valera who's just tearing things up on the mound, and at the plate we have Ross Adolph. So your Brooklyn Cyclones impressions about them or anybody else? They are very refreshing to watch. Uh, you mentioned Ross Adolph, and he just put on a show during the uh, Penn League All-Star game. He became the first ever Cyclone to take home the game MVP award. So congratulations to Ross Adolph on, on that. Um, he went two for three, got a triple homer and three RBI. Uh 
he's having a pretty decent year at this level. Uh, and there were six Cyclones that were named to uh, to the All-Star game. So they've, they've had a good year. They've played good in points. They, you know, they struggled. They got swept, I think, by uh, – I think it was – I don't know if it was a three-game sweep or a four-game sweep by Hudson Valley a couple of weeks ago in Hudson Valley, so that hurt. But uh, over and all, you know, um, Edgardo Alfonso has got them playing pretty good, and they've got some good young players coming through. Now, whether or not that's going to convert, as you know, they had you know a couple of years they've had some good guys, and, and you know, a lot of them are gone now. Colby Woodmancy got released. I think Vinny Siena got released. And I thought they were pretty good scrappy ball players. Uh, A.J. Mazzilli or L.J. Mazzilli never made it anywhere. So um, it's hard to tell at this level. But um, they they are playing some good team baseball, and, and they look pretty good. And let's hope they can make the playoffs at least. Uh, agreed. Uh, we know the last two years haven't been uh, that great in Coney Island. Uh, this year they're doing much better, as we alluded to. Now, my question to you is when Gary, uh, Gary, excuse me, when Paul DePodesta was still here, he used to go after a lot of high school guys. And the Cyclones were doing well in return. Uh, but when right. he left the organization and Sandy Alderson and his minions took over the draft, they went very, very college-heavy. And I think uh, the last two years – have been uh, a negative reflection of that. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that the college route uh, has not panned out over the last two seasons, not including this one. Well, I'll, I'll uh, yes and no, um, because a, a couple of the guys that uh, last year, was last year, two years ago, they went heavily college with Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay, um, and those guys have an awesome years this year so yeah uh at the Dunn is at Binghamton I believe and Kay I think Kay is still at St. Lucie uh he had Tommy John so he really missed the year um but some of the flops that they've had over the last couple of years have been high school kids if you think about it now I you know it's it's I guess he's still too young but Desmond Lindsay was a bomb I mean I I, I didn't like him at Brooklyn He's still struggling. I, I think he's at St. Lucie, but I can't swear to it. But you don't hear his name mentioned at all in, in any of the, the prospect talks anymore. Um, right. You know, there was a couple other guys. Uh, now now some of their international guys. You know, I'm, I'm looking kind of looking forward to next year with, in Brooklyn because that team, if they do it, I don't know if they'll do it, that team could be super next year. I mean, they could have Kellenick there. Uh, maybe uh, Richardson, this kid they they drafted this year out of high school, who's in the Gulf Coast League. Um, they could have some powerhouse next year, so we'll have to see. But, um, you know, I it, it, it's such a crapshoot the draft that you don't know. And and I thought along that lines too when they were drafting high school kids and and. You know, uh, and then they went to the college kids, but but really, some of the college kids have come through. I mean, you have Conforto, uh, you have, uh, as I said before, Dunn uh, and Kay, and uh, Peterson was from college. Um, so there's there's a, some talent down there, and they have some good free agent, international free agent signing in the minors that uh, 
have really started to shine and have made everybody's prospect list. So, um, you know, it's hard to say whether it was the DePotesta effect. And, and uh, clearly, Sandy had a couple of years of bad drafts there. Mm-hmm. And this year was really, uh, well, two years ago wasn't bad. I mean, you, you got to say it's still pretty good. Uh, and, and this year, clearly so far, it, it's really been good. They got very high marks. So, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's hard to say it. It's, it, it's been a refreshing season at Coney Island nonetheless. Uh, I've been enjoying myself there this summer. So uh, let's exactly. circle back to the big club now. Uh, and, and before we get to those guys on the mound and the position players, let's just talk about the team in general. Today they, uh, well, they're still in the midst of a doubleheader. This afternoon they destroyed the Phillies 24-4. to I guess that sort of wipes out the 25-4 loss to the Nationals. Uh, but look, <laughs> lo and behold, all of a sudden they're, they're hot. It, and it's obviously too late. And Cespedes isn't in the lineup. Bruce isn't in the lineup. Conforto isn't the Conforto we expected him to be yet. You know, they're they're heating up. It's the dog days of summer. Uh, but Gary, I think we all agree it's a little too it's a little too late. So I, I, I would suggest they modify their thinking instead of bogging down some of these positions with older players. But uh, what do you make of this hot stuff? You know, let me throw another stat out here before I throw it out to you. Uh, they ended the first half, and what I mean by the first half, right up until the All-Star break, uh, they went, what, 39 and 55. Not good. Uh, they're currently 52 and 67. Third game, they are 13 and 12. Lo and behold. What do you make of that? <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, I mean, I I could say Sandy's gone, and maybe that's a, a breath of fresh air went through the organizations. Uh, I I think they got some young guys that uh, people were clamoring about. Jeff McNeil come up and hit well and played very well, I think, uh, to my eye. Um, Conforto starting to hit a little bit. He he hit slowly. You know, he he's really struggled all year, and uh, but. You watch some of his games, he looks bad. He strikes out two times up, then the next two times up he gets a couple of hits. So, um, yeah, well, he doesn't exactly have the SWAT team around him. He has no protection. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll be uh, a, a little bit lenient, you know? Uh, Nimmo has been a big surprise. Uh, though I, you remember I've always praised him. I always liked him for his ability to get on base. He always seemed to be – even when they were pinch hitting him and, and throwing him in there last year and the last two years, he always seemed to be in the middle of a rally uh, for some reason. Always was in there. And I like that, and I like the way he plays. And, and uh, now he went uh, five for five last night. I think he was one for one today. He got hit on a hand today, so I don't know if he's playing the second game. They took him out of the first game. Yeah. The, um, X-rays were negative, but uh, Nimmo is coming through. Um, it, it is interesting that they're doing this without Cespedes and without Bruce. And, you know, you almost got to wonder, are these guys more of a, of a dead weight on the team? and Or do you just throw it to the young guys and let's see what they, you know, they can do? Plawecki's starting to hit. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I I, I'm in and out of games now, to be honest, because just sometimes I just, um, 
you know, I get tied up like this weekend. I was watching the PGA Championship the whole time. And uh, Gary, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think I think uh, us older guys we get a little jaded sometimes, and, and we you know tune them out literally. Uh, but we always manage to jump back in, don't we? Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, like last night, I was in and out of that game because uh, just stuff going on. And uh, Pluecki hit a grand slam and he had a couple of hits. He had a couple of hits in the first game tonight. Uh, I don't know what his stats are, but it seems like he's starting to come alive and starting to hit the way he they always thought he would. And uh, so you know, it's that kind of excitement. Maybe it's just an excitement. Syndergaard's back pitching. Um, maybe it is a certain confidence in that. And uh, you notice uh, Wheeler going seven innings and everything and, and uh, how it's approved everybody else. So the second game's not going well for them so far. So, uh, uh, You know what? Wheeler, you brought him up. This offseason, is he a keeper? I say yes. I say yes, too. I, I uh, Look, I know what everybody – everybody wants to trade somebody to build up to get to fill the holes. I don't see why you can't try to fill the holes internally. Let's see what we got. You know, that's the thing. If you got a hole at first base, fill it with Alonzo or Smith. You have to see which one's going to make it. If not, right what, now, what are we Yeah, They're going to be 30 no, years old. You know, I don't want to bring them up at, at 30 years old. Bring them up now at 23. I'm with you uh, on that. You know what? Heading into the trade deadline, I contemplated trading DeGrom and Syndergaard or both or whatnot and, you know, and, and recouping a major package of prospects, et cetera. Uh, but I thought about that. The Mets are bogged down. The Mets are they're, they're in a bind because of these contracts to Cespedes and Bruce and Todd Frazier. So, you know, blowing up the pitching staff would have been counterproductive because we're stuck with some of these offensive guys. You know, so I, I think you have to go forward with the pitching staff intact. If, hey, if you're going to move anyone, I, I, I think they, they'd be inclined to move uh, Stephen Matz. Uh, let's face it, he's running out of elbow room. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> um, Matz, you know, it, if the pieces were right, I would consider moving uh, Syndergaard, maybe. Um, only because the way he pitches He's the only one that hasn't had Tommy John. Uh, you know, um, Grom, you, you figure he, he – yes, from now, he can lose his fastball, but he knows how to pitch. Um, yeah. Can he make that transition? I'm not sure. So he would be a guy that I would consider moving. But uh, Matt's definitely um, – maybe you move a Frazier and, uh, you know – Look, Cespedes is not going to be back next year. Let's not even count on Cespedes. All right. right. And now, now they're talking about Bruce playing more first base. So, are you going to block Alonzo because you have a contract with Jay Bruce? I don't, I'm not sure that's the correct thing to do either. That that and that's what the, happens to these guys. And then Alonzo stays in the minors. You know, uh, if you're going to do something like that, then trade Alonzo and see what you can get. Maybe you can get a package with him and a mat. You know what I mean? Um, I it, it, it's such an iffy thing sometimes. Uh, I, I know they they need a backup catcher, 
They need a lot of stuff. But, I, you know, hopefully Pilecki can win this job and then they can uh, maybe sign Mezzarocco to uh, – because I like Mezzarocco. I think he's a good backup. I think he's good with the pitching staff. I think it's small, you know, like they're playing him now. He can stay healthy, maybe get a whole year in. Um you know, there's so many question marks, and we're not going to know really anything until the end of the season. Here's here's the problem: what you you speak truth, and and what you say makes total sense. And if you're a general manager, you're probably inclined to 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 think along those lines as well. Our problem is, and I'm not going to let this podcast evolve into another, you know, let's just just destroy the the Wilpons, but. With them around, we know that they're making decisions not entirely based on the game and what's in the best interest of the team, but what's in you know best interest of their finances and their lingering debt, which they're still in, which nobody seems to be talking about anymore. And that's my problem because all those things you mentioned make total sense, but they're not gonna. You know, if they were smart, they would eat the money on Todd Frazier and open up the position to a young guy. It's not a lot of money. If they were smart, they would eat the money on Jay Bruce. It's not a lot of money and open up the position for young guys. Uh, And as you say, Cespedes isn't coming back. You know, so that's more of an insurance thing than anything else. Unfortunately, I still feel like he's too involved in the decision and the executive decision-making process with money first and foremost on his mind. And and that's why I don't trust them. And that's why they need to get a a GM in place with haste. Uh, And I'm not entirely sure I I, I trust them to, you know, go through the process because the last time they did, remember, heading into hiring Sandy Alderson, that was going to effectively be Jeff Wilpon's first uh, hire because everyone previous to him was hired by his father. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wink, wink, Bug Selig said, take Sandy Alderson or else I'm going to have to do to you what I did to uh, Mr. McCourt in L.A. You know, that's my conspiracy thinking. So here we are again. They are going through the process of searching out a GM. Now, do you agree that Omar Minari is really calling the shots, mentoring Jeff Lopon, and that John Rico is merely uh, a transient face of the organization? I, I, you know, at this point, I don't know what to believe. I, I, what I don't know. <laughs> what I don't get is how are these three guys gonna? How do you have people interview your potential boss? Congress. Because essentially, that's what's going to happen if one of them doesn't get the job, isn't it? They're going to be yeah. working for this guy. So how can? Who you know, and they mention all these names. I, I I think at this point it would have been better off if they just said, as much as everybody would hate it, but if they just said Jeff Wilpon's going to hire the next GM, or Fred Wilpon's going to hire it. Because look, it's their it's their business too. I mean, they're not going anywhere, and, and yeah. they 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 have put money into this organization. And, uh, you know, I, I laugh when people say they don't want to spend money. Well, you know, they have spent money. It just was spent they have badly. Spent money. They and, have, uh, you're right. They've spent it badly. And then, and that's been done. I mean, 
since he he purchased sole ownership of the club, let, let's face it, uh, Fred's been juggling his finances uh, like a bunch of bowling pins at the circus. Between having to come up with Nelson Doubleday's money, between seeking financing for City Field, between Madoff, and I'm not putting you know blame on any one. It's it's a conglomeration of all these factors, but. I, he has juggled his finances like a bunch of bowling pins at the circus. We have to admit that much. Right. Oh, yeah. But who doesn't? I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of guys that don't do it. And, um, you know, it is, let's face it, it is about making money. So, yeah. Well, uh, you know what? You've been around a while. So have I. How many times has Fred Wilpon told us to our face, my goal is to break even? Yeah, lots of times, but he also wants yeah. to win. Kind of a dichotomy there, you know. There and you go. There you go. He's there eighty years old. Oh, I think he's running out of chances to win another championship. Fred D. Wilpon, Fred D. Wilpon, Fred Dichotomy Wilpon. That's beautiful. <laughs> let's let's break from that because it's shameful and it's depressing. Let's get back to the players. Let's say goodbye to a couple of players: Jerry's Familia and uh, uh, Cabrera. Uh, what do you, you know? Let's let's start with the Familia trade. Uh, yes, he was going to be a free agent. We weren't going to retain him. Uh, so the objective was to you know recoup something of use or value. Uh, that's something that JP Ricciardi probably. Uh, did the reconnaissance on, you know, and I, I think the, the return and the reviews are mixed. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think originally I was, I thought they got hosed in the deal, but I got to say, uh, Bobby Wall has looked okay in short sample. Um, the other guy, I can't remember the other guy's name now. He, he's been uh, doing fairly good in the minors. Um, so it may not be, it may not have been as bad a deal as we thought. Look, if, if, if wild can work out, um, then it's essentially a one for one deal that, that, and, you know, he may not be a closer, but if he can be a decent piece in a bullpen, then you really didn't lose much in the deal. Um, Perhaps not. You know, so well, that's something we're gonna have to wait and see. Uh, but we knew it was it was gonna come to that, so we'll have to wait and see. You're right, Cabrera. Uh, he was probably you know one of the more endearing players over the last few years that the Mets have had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you know what? It was time to let him go. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember when? Remember when we signed him? Every GM in, in, in baseball was saying his best days were behind him. Right, and he's had a couple of good years, so you know, um, it just unfortunately for the Mets, it's it's bad luck too again with them because he was red hot, and then uh, getting near the trade deadline, he had that slump, and then he started hitting again a little bit, and uh, but when he was red hot, too bad he couldn't have moved him then, but it was earlier in the season, so uh, it's all about timing and. Uh, you know they got what they could for him, and and again, it's it's you have to see if if one of them will pan out. Maybe it'll be worth it. Uh, but I, he he was a guy that had to go. He's he was blocking uh, 
a guy that they really need to look at. McNeil is 27. He deserved it based on his hitting this year and last year in the minors, and he really deserves to be up here. And I think you see that so far. He's playing pretty darn good. Um, does he have the best range at second? No, but neither did Daniel Murphy, and we went to a World Series with him. That's not saying he's Daniel Murphy, but you know what I mean. Uh, did oh, Cabrera have the best range? No, Cabrera had uh, very little range, uh, especially at this point in time. Um, but McNeil's a younger guy. He's hungry, and that's what you want. And uh, look, Rosario's starting to hit now. Was it because they sat him down, or was it because McNeil came up and, and some other guys came up? Was it because they moved him to the, the leadoff spot? We don't know, but he's starting to hit, you know, and, and yet they've got a shortstop in the minors that they say may be better. So maybe yeah. you consider moving a Rosario in the you know, in the off season. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, Cabrera had to go, both of them had to go Familia and Cabrera. It was just, I think Familia was getting too familiar here and, and uh, <laughs> time to clear out the second base job. Oh, agreed. You know, there's something to be said. I mean, that just reconfirms the notion addition by subtraction. Right. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What do you think about uh, the Mets captain actually playing in some ball games? Uh, I I, I wish him well. I (laughs) want nothing for the best. (laughs) I want nothing, uh, you know, but the best for him. But I, you know, I don't think it's going to work out to his satisfaction. I think ultimately he's going to face retirement. And once he comes to grips with that, uh, better for him, his wife, and his family. That's where my priorities lie with regard to David Wright. Uh, It's time for him to give this game up. He has to work way, way too hard each and every – let's just say he makes it back. Each and every game he has to put in, I think they reported upwards of two hours of prep work above and beyond mm-hmm. that every other major league is putting in, just to get into a game-ready condition. Uh, and, you know, he's not 28 anymore. Uh, he's beyond, you know, mid-30s. He's 36 now. Uh, would I like for him to get on the field and, and for the fans to be able to, uh, you know, just rain down appreciation upon him in person? I would love to see that happen, but as far as his career, I think he needs to look himself in the mirror and say, you know what, I I need to preserve my body for my young children and and for my interactions with them as they grow. I know he only has one child, but maybe he grows his family. And that's where my mind is. Uh, So I wish him well. I wish him luck. I I hope he doesn't hurt himself again or, or makes things worse. Uh, and if he can make it to City Field one day, uh, I hope to be there and I'll applaud him. But I really think he should retire. What's your What's your take on that? Well, I, I agree, and I think he may be getting to that point. He uh, he played in three games in four days, which is pretty good. Uh, hasn't had a hit or anything, and he said after last night's game, he played seven innings last night, and he mm-hmm. said something back that he got to prove that, that – 
he can do it still. If he can't do it, what's what's come around? My scenario has been the whole year, and I said even if he didn't get to play, and he's playing now, but even if he didn't, I said he's got to have one game or one at bat left in him in that body. And I would, you know, you're talking about the Wilpons making money. Uh, I would announce that the last day of the season, the last home game, going to be David Wright Day. He's retiring, uh, and and you start him at third base, and you let him play, and or you let him pinch hit. Don't forget the rosters expand, so he's not taking anybody's spot really, and uh, you let him pinch hit or you know whatever if you want to play him the game. And he has that one last at bat, and he comes off. You, put it, you know, if he gets a hit, great. You put in the pinch runner, um, whatever. And that's it. You heard it here first, folks, on a co-production of a Metsian podcast and Mets Musings. Gary Mack predicts David Wright will indeed get one last at bat. Am I correct? <laughs> it happen. I think that's what he's working towards. And uh, and and look, he comes off the field, and who's he greeted by at the dugout by Jose Reyes? So. <laughs> yeah, you know and, that's been that's been the background noise this whole time. You know, a send off for the both of them. I'm not necessarily right. sure I agree with that, but I think that's what this is all leading up to. Do you, do you think that, or am I off on that? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, there was rumors a month or so ago that they were preparing a, a video farewell to Jose Reyes. So um, I, I I think it was working two ways there. I, th- I think that tells you he's not coming back with the Mets, one way or the other. Uh, he, he wants to come he, back. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. As you explained uh, before, uh, open up these positions for the younger guys. He shouldn't be right. back next year. Uh, Speaking of which, let's throw another older guy into this conversation. Austin Jackson. He's filling a role. I'll say that uh, much for him. I don't think I could say much else. (laughs) 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 In a little bit, you know, uh, he he stabilized the position a little bit now with Nimmo Hurt. And uh, you could say the same thing about uh, Jose Batista, though. His numbers are awful, but He's gotten some big hits and really has played some good third base and played some good right field. And, uh, you know, with Nemo Hurt now, you may need somebody like that. So, I mean, they they weren't, for what they paid for those guys, they were not bad pickups. Um, All right. You know what? Let, let's go there. You brought him up. Let's stay there. Jose Batista. The club has already uh, – made it known that they're entertaining bringing him back next season. To me, Gary, that's absolutely ponderous. And I'll ask (laughs) you, who the hell came up with this idea? Jeff, Omar, Rico, Richardi? Who the hell said we need him next year? That's what I want to know. And then I I want that person (laughs) fired. I think you have to consider a couple of things. And that is, um, I, I think it's telling that the, they're saying we don't have anybody to fulfill an outfield spot. We don't have anybody in the minors that can come up to win a job. And and they really don't. They brought up Kozmarski, and, and he just didn't do anything. And 
I don't think there's anybody else there's nobody I can even think of that comes up in conversation at all uh, in the minors that's an outfielder except now Adolf in in uh, single A. But uh, I think that A that tells you that um, B. I'd sooner put a phone booth out there. Okay. Okay. I'd sooner put a phone booth out there. Well, uh, B, um, with Frazier spending some time on the disabled list and, uh, you know, Nimmo hurt now and uh, you're not going to have Cespedes, you don't know about Bruce, it gives you insurance at, at third base and at the right field. So, I, you know what, if there's young guys playing in, in the spots and they want to keep a guy like Batista around, a veteran, spot start, spot start. I don't have a problem with that because that's the way I think you build a team. You build with your youth, and then you fill in with experience. And a guy like him may be good for that. Um, but to make him part of the future, they're, they're, no, you're totally out of whack with that. Um but that's where this team is at now. They they don't know what their future is and what they have because they're not bringing these guys up. We know what Wilma okay. Flores he can hit, he can't catch, and his arm's not that great. So, you know, why not bring up an Alonzo? Why? What about Dom Smith? All of a sudden now, um, he's getting the bums rush out of there. They send him back to Vegas, and his job is gone. He's playing left field. I, you know, could they, could he have fallen that fast without really, I know they were ticked off last year when he came up and he was out of shape, but look at the shape he got into. All right. And then he pulled the muscle in spring training and that set him back. Um, I don't know. You know, I think this kid's going to get traded somewhere and go on and be an all-star, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I want to see him get a shot first before we come to any conclusion. And and that's precisely why I, I want this team to rid itself of all these thirty whatevers, <laughs> addition by subtraction, and, so and you, just let and let the the youth take over for better or for worse. Ultimately, this I team needs a direction. You know. Oh, without ultimately, this team needs a direction. Uh, do you have any candidates in mind for the next general manager? You know, you I know that was so a many. question. I really don't. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. I, I don't have anyone in mind just yet. And to be quite honest with you, my 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 wish would be to hire a president of baseball operations, someone who a would separate the will ponds from that side of the business. B would ensure that all the will ponds uh, needs are met to their great satisfaction. And C someone who will oversee the entire operation and the general manager will be hired by this person and report to this person, not to ownership. That's what I would like to see. But do you have a, a GM candidate in mind? Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't even begin to guess. I mean, they, you know, they're throwing out names, uh, Ben Sherrington, um, you know, who knows? I mean, it, it's like the, the, the manager's job 
we don't know uh, anything about these guys, but let, let's stick with the in-house then. Let, let's stick with the known. What if they turn around and make John Rico the 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 next general manager? Me, I would break out in a rash. <laughs> <laughs> what if they make John Rico the next general manager? I, I wouldn't go that far, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's possible that he could have learned from Sandy's mistakes. And uh, and one, it, it, it seems when they talk, it seems like they want to go in. All of a sudden now they want to talk about defense. And they want to talk about small ball and stuff. So you got to, even though he worked for Sandy, and I'm sure he learned a lot in different areas, um, you don't know that his head is the same head. You know what I'm saying? He he. I know exactly agreed, what you're saying. Because he works with the guy, but you know he might he might have disagreed. And look, I work with people and I disagree with their philosophy, but you go through with it anyway because they're your boss. And it's possible it's the same thing with him. Um, he may want to spread his wings a little bit and and put his uh, uh, stamp on this team and, and do things the way he wants to do it. So I, I, I don't think it would be a terrible thing. Um, I, I, th- I have a feeling that's probably the way it's going to happen. I mean, I'd like to see somebody come in from the outside, but are they going to let an outsider do anything e- either? You don't know. At least this, you might have a fighting chance because he knows how to work with them. And maybe, you know, it's like with any job, you, you yes, you boss to death and then go do something else anyway. And then you just hope it works out so you can, you know, say, well, uh, we thought, that, you know, it was a good deal or whatever. So, um, wow. I, I, you know, it's tough. It, it's, it's, Look, it's it's got to be tough being a Wilpons too, reading all of this stuff all the time. I I don't think they like being the villain in all of this, and I know everybody thinks they are. I I don't they enjoy it. And I don't think Jeff and Fred get together and say, well, "What can we do now to piss the fans off and make us the villain, make us look bad?" I honestly I believe that. I don't I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that they're bad people, and I don't believe they're. I, they're in it for the money, but I don't think, I think they still want to win. And I just think that I, 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 they might be too nettlesome. If that's the word. Yes. Oh, they're very nettlesome, but you know, Gary, you, you have, you have a way of, of uh, bringing out the more empathetic me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm with you. Look, I, the little ponds, I, I, there's a, a whole side of me that really does appreciate them. I'm, I live in this neighborhood where he went to high school. You understand? I know he was a pitcher. I know he threw a no-hitter. I know Sandy Koufax was his first baseman. I know Jeff was a catcher. He played. I appreciate that they're from Brooklyn. In fact, I kind of like it, if not love it, because I'd rather that them local guys right somebody i can actually relate to on a street level not that i ever met them or ever floated around in their circles a virtual impossibility but you know he comes from my neighborhood or i come from his neighborhood he preceded me 
And so what they've never been is a cold-hearted, you know, conglomo corporate entity like, say, the Tribune was with the Cubs or any number of other examples. And I do appreciate that about the Wilpons. I really do. And and if I had a preference, I'd like to keep it that way. But they've got to meet us halfway. You know, so if they're listening <laughs> to a Messian podcast, look, you know, because you're local, we appreciate that. And we wouldn't want it in, in, in some other nefarious, more nefarious ends. Because, you know, the ranks of baseball ownership has been rife with them, especially more so lately than ever. So you're right, Gary. I, I, I do appreciate all that about them, but they got to meet us halfway. Uh, medicine is a very appropriate word, uh, and it's not it's not overly uh, disparaging. It's just a you know an adjective. That's all. Uh, nobody's well. Actually, people are contemplating going after them with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> but uh, but what you say is true, and and no, they're they're not purposely going to bed every night dreaming of being the villains the next morning. No, they're not. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I've been at this a long time. We're just not baseball people. So let me find somebody to run this for me. It's mine. It belongs to me at the end of the day. I get to decide anything I want. But right. for the sake of this team, myself, I'm a real estate guy. I understand that very well. Baseball, perhaps not so much. Yeah, I played. Yeah, I pitched. Yeah, I even tossed a no-hitter in my day. But organizationally, perhaps I was a better player than I am that. You know, and well, just I, just have to I, I, I think they probably look at the organizational thing and try to run it like they do run their construction business. And oh, that's they're probably all similarities in every, you know, corporation, but there are differences as well. And, and, in this particular business, that style obviously doesn't work, to, uh, uh, being meddlesome. But I do laugh when people say they're cheap, they don't spend money. Look at the record. I mean, the, no, the record they, they shows. Spend money. You know, they've spent they, money, and they've gotten tortured in the process. Let's not forget, Steve Phillips left them with the highest payroll in the National League in the last place club. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> You know, they, they, everybody wanted, you got to sign Cespedes, you got to sign Cespedes. Well, they signed Cespedes, and now it's coming back yeah. to bite them in the butt. Um, yeah. You know, you got to sign Bruce. We need power in the outfield. Well, they signed Bruce. He got hurt. Yeah. That's not Pond's fault. I mean, when, uh, they can't do anything about that. The injuries, everybody said, oh, the Mets boxes. They changed the whole Mets boxing, uh, uh, training staff, and we find out it's not the Mets boxes. So, what is well, it that I mean? Things I would be looking at as an owner. I want to know why my guys are getting hurt so often. Uh, I want to. I want to go down to my lowest level in the minors, and I want to revamp the whole training system. So when they come up here, they know how to sacrifice bunts. They know how to uh, steal a base. They know how to slide into a base properly instead of these stupid pop-up slides that they all come off the bag and get tagged out. Um, I, I want to go old school. I want to teach them how to, uh, you know, if you got a team that came up and played old school baseball and I'm talking about hook slides and, and that sort of thing, 
man, that would revolutionize the game now. And and it's it's nothing new. Um, you sing my it, song. It's cyclical, and maybe that cycle will come back to a certain extent. It has. I think what ruined it all, and and everybody says you're always on this soapbox, but the, the DH. God forbid that the National League ever brings that stupid cancer of a thing into the National League. That is the worst thing that was ever created in the history of baseball. It has it has ruined so many parts of the game, and and changed it for a little bit more offense. But uh, you know, is it really that offensively different now? The numbers have creeped up. The National League is not that far behind the American League. So as far as offense goes, it's just to keep a bunch of old guys that probably should be cut anyway on a baseball team and making big money. And uh, you know what? I, I, I want to, I want to branch out on that note and I'm with you a million percent. I'm with you one I'm lockstep. You and I wearing lockstep on that. And I want to say to the younger listeners, your gen, your gen Zers and your millennials and whatnot. And uh, I, I'm not going to call anybody a geek, but all these stat crazed people who are reinventing the wheel. This is what I'm going to say. Guys like Gary and I, you know, we we remember baseball before the DH, before free agency. You understand? Before the advent of uh, of the let's let's say the closer pre-save rule, post-save rule. You know, there was no such thing as a closer. There was a it was a reliever. It was a fireman. Okay, but. What the, my point is, is we understand change. Above and beyond, we understand change. And we're not averse to change. And the game is changing, but it's folly. And again, I'll reiterate, we are not averse to change. And what I mean by we, we 50s and 60s and late 40s and even late 30s, people who remember you know, a game back in the late 70s at least. Nobody understands change more than we do. We've seen the game evolve. Like amphibians in, Dar- in Darwin's <laughs> textbooks. We've seen this game change. Again, I'll reiterate, before the DH, before free agency, when I was a kid, I knew exactly who was coming to town each and every year. A team represented something, and the people on it represented more to their cities than anything else. Now it's just every year you have to relearn the whole kebab. So nobody understands change more than we do. Change is cool. We embrace change. But what the game is turning into is complete folly. And if this is what you were born into and you don't know how to compare this game to a different game of another era, well, then don't scream and shout us down calling us old fools because we can turn around and say the same damn thing to you, young buck. There has to be some middle ground. Unfortunately, we live in a world of extremes. Mm -hmm. To hell with moderation. To hell of consideration. Help me, Gary, please. This is our show, <laughs> no. not my show. <laughs> I agree. Uh, 
you know, I, I say, you know, who cares about launch angle and the velocity off the bat? What the heck is that proof? If, if, if Aaron Judge hits a home run 500 feet or 320 feet, it still counts as one run. doesn't matter how far you hit it. doesn't matter how hard you hit it. It's a it, run. That is, it that's crazy. That's crazy. The, the, only thing, the only thing that has changed on launch angle, you know what? 40 years ago, a guy named Powell used to say, man, that ball would have went through a cinder block. Now they call it exit velocity. That's all that's changed. That's all that's changed. We went from colorful, descriptive narratives of a game to launch velocity and exit velocity. You understand? We went from the colorful to zeros and ones, like the Matrix. We plugged ourselves into the Matrix. Holy crap. Gary, we plugged (laughs) ourselves into the Matrix. We went from colorful, rich lives and interaction and... And and forethought and effort and now we're plugged into the matrix on autopilot. The game is on autopilot. And and you know, can I watch the game instead of seeing a box around home plate and uh, uh, the speed of the pitch and the velocity of the launch angle of the perambular of the isosceles uh, <laughs> triangle, whatever the heck it is. I mean, come on. Can't we just watch the ball game without all of this stuff that I mean, is meaningless? It really is meaningless. You know, Davey Johnson wrote in his book uh, that was out this past summer that, um, and he was, you know, Davey Johnson is the grandfather of analytics. I don't know if everybody knows this. He had a computer back in the 60s. He proved yes. to uh, uh, Earl Weaver that he should be batting sixth. And, of course, when he, he brought in all these spreadsheets and Earl Weaver threw them in the garbage can and said, just go out there. But he even says that the problem today is there's too much data. And he, he says in computer ease, because I believe he's got a degree in computer science, um, there's a saying, garbage in, garbage out. And he says, there's too much garbage going in, a lot of garbage coming out. And uh, and this is a guy that started a lot of this. But he says now it's gone to the extreme. It's gone to a ridiculous level. A strikeout yeah. doesn't matter now. But come on, a strikeout is worse than – I'd rather have you put the ball in play because, yes, you may hit into a double play if there's a runner on first. You also may the shortstop or the second baseman may kick that ball or the third baseman, and that runner, all the runners are safe. If you strike we're, out, the guy anchored it first. We're watching a third of the defensive gems that we used to watch in the seventies now, because everyone's striking out. Nobody's putting the ball in play. Either that, or they're losing them into the bleachers. And how is that um, more exciting? Watching guys strike out. It's, it's not. not. So, it, I guess it is to somebody. I, I find well, it horrifically I, boring. I I don't know because they're saying they they're trying to make the the pace of play, the pace of play, the pace of play. But if guys are striking out all the time, that's making the game boring anyway, and longer. It, I I'd rather see guys be more aggressive at the plate, try to smack the ball somewhere. Um, they're killing themselves. Shipped. 
they they are, and this commissioner is is. I hate to say it, but I think he's sticking a dagger in and starting to twist it a little in the, in the game because some of his ideas are downright stupid. I, I don't know how else to put it? He'll never they, be again. Oh, but. <laughs> but no, they really are killing themselves, uh, and for no good reason. It's it's ponderous. It, it, you know what? Let's cheer ourselves up. Is there anything else you want to get into before we move on to happier things? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> let's look at the number 16 <laughs> let's look at the number 16 uh, guys who won the number uh, 16 in history let's see uh, it's a nice list are you looking at the list I'm looking at a list yes alright you know what let's it's go a- one for one we don't have to name them let's just pick them you <laughs> go ahead sir start away well you the first one that stands out is Felix Mion to me. Uh, you know, uh, Felix came here and wore 16, and then uh, did he switch? He switched to something else, didn't he? Then, but uh, he he wore that yes, for a while. And, uh, well, but didn't he switch to uh, seven? He was a single digit. Was he? You know, I can't remember what the heck he wore now. Let's see. Oh boy. Uh, Somebody's laughing at us right now. That's we're old, you know? <laughs> you know, you're right. I'm looking at number seven now. It wasn't seven. Oh, I'm wrong. But I, I'm pretty sure he's 17. I knew there was a seven in, in, involved in that. <laughs> uh, but he's running for, I, I'll tell you, before him, Mike Jorgensen was a guy that came up, was a pretty good ball player, a uh, young guy, highly touted, never really panned out, but he had some good years in Montreal. I believe he went to Montreal. Um, had some good years there. So he's a guy that stands out. Of course, uh, John Stearns is on the list. He wore it for a year and then switched to 12. Um, Lee Mazzilli, and, and uh, you know, what can you say about him? He was uh, um, a superstar in the dead days of uh, the late 70s and early 80s. Um, he was gorgeous and, in the disco era. He was hot. <laughs> and and I'll let you pick the obvious choice. Um, I'm with you on these for, for now. You know, Felix Mion, he's still up amongst my, my all-time favorite Mets because when you're young, you know, these guys, uh, they make an impression upon you. And John Stearns, uh, another one, he's, in, he's still in my all-time top ten. I love him so much. The dude. Uh, and it's funny that Mike Jorgensen is on this list. Do you remember? Because Mike Jorgensen had gotten beamed previously, and I believe it was in like 78 or so, 77, 78, maybe 79. Uh, Mike Jorgensen was out the plate, and somebody came too close to his head again, and John Stearns came darting out of the dugout and, and, and attacked the pitcher uh, in defense of Mike Jorgensen. Not that the pitch hit him, it's just that John Stearns took exception to that pitch coming so close, knowing what Jorgensen had gone through. Do you remember that? Yeah, yes, I do. And in those yeah. days, that's did. <laughs> well, well, let's not even talk about what happened yesterday. But, you know, there's an anecdote for, for the ages, folks. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Lee Mazzilli, man, he was hot in the disco here. Uh, everyone loved Lee Mazzilli. Him and Bucky Dennis, uh, that's all the city talked about. They were the Derek Jeters of the day. That's right. They had that long hair and uh Oh my goodness. Uh, let me was... see if there's anybody. 
Say again? He was fun to watch too, Mazzilli, wasn't he? he oh, he, yeah. He, he glided after a ball. He didn't really seem to run. He just seemed to glide. And uh, really a good player. He not, came not up just, really hot. He came up really yeah. hot in the uh, in the 76 call-ups. No, in the, or was it the 75 call-ups? Was 77 his first full season? I think 77 was his first full season. First full. He, he came up in the September uh, 76 call-ups, yeah, uh, and made a major impression. Yeah, let's get to the uh, more obvious names on the, on this list. Uh, Dwight Gooden. Uh same. Uh, really, Man, weren't those nights electric? More, and uh, more. I mean, more so than the Dark Knight ever came close to on his best night. Nice oh my Dwight Gooden pitched were electric. Oh, it it was a uh, you know they used to say the Dark Knight was an event when he pitched. No, 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 that was uh, a sideshow. This was an event you could not get yeah. a ticket. You could not. It, uh, it was just. An unbelievable uh, uh, time, and and I can remember being glued. Now, now that's where the strikeouts were interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But things were two and a half hours long. They weren't dragged out, you know. Um, and and just he was so electric. Um, just really a shame what happened, and uh, you know you wish you could go back and smack him in the head before he took that first hit of Coke and said, what are you doing, stupid? Let's get out of here, you know? Um, tragic, in the, tragic in the Greek tragedy sense, you know? Yep, yep. Just got to wonder, and you got to wonder, did they bring him up too soon? I don't know, you know? 19. He was only 19. They, they, brought, they brought him up from uh, from Lynchburg, Correct. Yeah, and you know now you got to wonder maybe is that maybe the Will Ponds was slow to bring up guys for that reason. Who knows? They brought up how old was Strawberry when he came up? He was twenty, right? Yeah. He was young. yeah, but I, I'd be putting that on Cashin. I, I I don't think. Uh, well, yeah. I I, yeah. I think they should watch a little bit more because uh, they were kids, um, you know. But look. Um, Ed Cranepool came up at 17, and they stuck him with Frank Thomas, who was 35. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, who's to say? But uh, just, just uh, what a, a such a waste of talent. You know, you can't even find the words to say it. Just a uh, shame. David, yeah, it, it really is. David Cohn. He only wore the number for one season, uh, but David Cohn is nevertheless David Cohn. Now, Gary, 88, I was in Germany, you know, so I didn't get a firm review of everything going on. Did that article he wrote in the newspaper really blow it for the Mets? <laughs> oh, boy. Did that motivate the Dodgers? That ticked off people. I mean, that ticked off the Dodgers no end. And, and look, you know, Hershiser was a one-man wrecking crew. I think he pitched, like, in every game. I'm surprised his arm didn't fall off in that playoff, and, and they just couldn't hit him. I mean, it was just incredible. I remember I went to game, um, shoot, I'm going to say three. And it was, um, it got rained out on a Friday night. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was game three. It got rained out on a Friday night. They played it Saturday at noon. 
and it was rainy and, and miserable at the ballpark. And uh, it was a, a pretty good game, back and forth, back and forth. But, you know, Hershiser just he just dominated that series. And then once uh, – What they call him? Bulldog, had, right? They used to call him Bulldog? Yeah. But the real turning point was, was when, when uh, Sochi hit the home run because Gooden had them stymied. And and that home run plus the article ticking them off, it just it just was too much. They just they no. couldn't Gary, you know what was too much? I was in Germany listening to the game on Armed Forces uh radio network. My roommate was from Los Angeles. That Oh, that was too much. <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. Oh boy, memories. <laughs> uh, who else we got in here? Yeah, Paul Leduca. Uh served his purpose. Good catcher. Had a great outspoken. Great two thousand six. Yeah. Uh controversial two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh Angel Pagan had a couple of good years here. Apparently uh, he wore out his welcome though. Apparently he wore out his welcome from what we hear, he wasn't very well liked. Well, you know, that was the whole thing. He wanted to play center field and, and you know, hit leadoff and everything. Or didn't want to hit leadoff. Then he wanted to hit leadoff. I forget now uh, over the course of time. But um, how about Rick and Keel? Remember him here for uh, at least almost a month? And, yeah. And uh, he, he's thinking about coming back to baseball now as a, a lefty specialist. So Why yeah, not that make one. a crazy? Why not make a crazy story even more insane? Yeah, right. <laughs> and of course, uh, now we got a Weston Jackson wearing it. So um, the rest of the other guys pretty nondescript, I guess. Dilson Herrera, Danny Muno, uh, Kevin yep. Kazmarski. We'll see. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on number sixteen. Let's uh, let's wrap this baby up. Uh, your final word, Mister Mack. Well, um, I'm I'm gonna, uh, you know, I hope everybody listens, goes over and listens to Mets musings. As I said, it's a weekly podcast, and um, if uh, everybody's interested in helping out Ed Cranepool, Ed Cranepool needs a kidney. If you think you want to be a donor, you can contact the Stony Brook Hospital. They are handling everything. Get in touch with them. Ask about their their. Uh, I, I don't have a number or anything because I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head, but uh, Ed Cranepool, an original Met, uh, needs a kidney, and uh, he's doing pretty good. He feels pretty good. Um, do we have time for a quick story? Absolutely. We have all the time you want, baby. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, well, actually a month, month and a half ago, uh, I actually had the opportunity to um, to go to Ed Cranepool's house. Uh, he uh, was selling some of his memorabilia and it was by appointment only. And you can go look and, and buy some stuff. And um, a buddy of mine, a friend of mine uh, said, do you want to go? And he put me in contact with the guy that was running the sale. And uh, I said, you know what? I'll go. I, maybe I can get an interview out of it. Well, I didn't get the interview at it, but I did get to meet Ed Cranepool in his house, in his basement and see his memorabilia. And it was very surreal uh, <laughs> it was very weird to be there. And we sat and talked baseball for a while. 
and uh, very nice guy. And as I said, he, he needs a kidney. He's got a lot of medical bills and stuff. And so if anybody's interested, the Stony Brook Hospital, uh, contact them and they'll, they'll hook you all up and get it all done. But it was really cool to uh, meet him in his house. And uh, it was very neat. And I purchased this, uh, a picture of him and Casey that if you're watching the video, you can see behind me here. Uh, in 1962, I guess, or 63, it's at the Polygram, so uh, it's got to be one of those two years. Uh, but and it's signed by Ed, so um, um, that's my my that's all I got. Uh, if you want to help him out, contact Stony Brook Hospital and uh, say a prayer for him. I had the great fortune of meeting Ed Cranepool at a Cyclones game. You know, uh, from time to time, they have people there come and sign autographs. Uh-huh. I, in fact, got Ed Greenpool's autograph in my program. And, uh, you know, again, I go back to being young and impressionable. And there's just a game that I will never, ever forget, Gary. Uh, in 1976, summer, I was sitting in the mezzanine section with my pop. We were playing the Giants at Shea. Uh, score was tied 2-2. And steady Eddie Greenpool hit a three-run home run that, as far as I'm concerned, hasn't even landed yet. Went over the U-Haul sign. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, because when you're young, man, wow. Uh, and what was, and the I, that, what was the launch angle and the velocity off the bat yeah. on that? <laughs> uh, you know what? That's for another generation to answer. Uh, as far as this kid was concerned, like I say, that ball still has yet to land. Uh, steady Eddie, and I was sitting on, I was sitting the first base side, so while he was at that, you know, I'm staring square at his number seven on his back and watching right. him go through the range of his swing. And it was just so majestic. And it, it was a night game. And uh, as I think uh, another announcer had said during the Yankee uh, playoff game one, and into the New York night. Uh, it, man, if I could have only thought of that phrase then, that's how I feel now. Uh, I'll never forget that game. It's just one game, you know, you have them. Uh, that you right. Can- Keep you forever, and that's just one of them. Mets won that game 5-3 on Eddie, uh, on Eddie Cranfield's three-run home run at Shea against the Giants. Uh, that, and, you know, I can't echo loud enough uh, his need and, and your words. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I wish him well. Uh, I'm getting a little sad because, you know, Eddie Cranfield goes back to our childhood, and he's special to us, if not to others, you know, but he's certainly special to me and to you, Gary. So my final word, I'll just leave it uh, with thank you. Uh, You always, man, you take me through a full range of emotions like the Cyclones and Coney Allen. That's why I love talking baseball with you. I I ranted. I'm almost almost to tears now with Eddie Cranfield. So damn you, Gary, damn you. (laughs) Uh, That said, I I thank you for your time. Uh, Catch this also at Mets Musings. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the 16th episode of the Metsian Podcast. Sorry, Sam and Rich could not participate this evening, but business and travel takes them away. Hopefully, they'll return next week. Uh, Gary, a million thank yous again. And uh, good night, my friend. I hope to speak with you very soon. I hope to do that too, Michael, and, and thanks so much for having me. The pleasure is all mine. Good night, my friend. Good night, everybody. Nice. Okay.